welcome to the Atlas Podcast, episode 91. Uh, my name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief at FanBolt.com. I'm Matt Rodriguez, the owner-in-chief editor of ShakeFire.com. <laughs> the last one to leave the dinner.com in ATLCW.tv. And we're laughing because Fozzie is running around like a mad person. And we're all together in we one are. place recording this um, because it's a special podcast. It is. We are celebrating one year um, since you guys joined the podcast, So, which was... Episode 50-something, I think, when you guys came on? Like 52, 53, something like that. It was ages ago. It was a lifetime ago. (laughs) Before that, it was just me and Ja'Kai, and I barely remember those years. We miss you, (laughs) (laughs) Ja'Kai. We're going to try to get him back for episode 100. Um, But uh, but yeah, we're all together, so this is going to be a a different kind of podcast. And and we're drinking. And we're drinking. We have booze, so... (laughs) It this gets good. progressively worse as the <laughs> as the podcast wears on. We'll know why. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, let's uh, jump right into it because we actually had a lot of things that have happened in the last week. Um, I want to start out by talking about uh, an event that Matt and I went to on Monday night, which was the Atlanta premiere of FX's Atlanta season two, Robin season, um, which was a crowded event. <laughs> it was. It was. It was at the uh, the Starlight Drive-In, which is kind of an Atlanta staple. And um, so they had the press set up all there, and, you know, they screened it on one of the drive-in theater screens, which was kind of cool, because, like, I'd never... <laughs> hey, Fozzie. Fozzie's back. <laughs> so, yeah, we did that. It was and, so know, cold, though. It was, it was, it was surprisingly cold. It, was it wasn't really... bad at first. But then, once the sun went down and the wind picked up, yeah, it was um, it was cold, and so of course everything was outside. They had tents set up with um, some couches and chairs, but it was still cold. It was really cold. But, I was literally shivering the entire time. Um, but we stayed for. They showed the first. Well, I guess they showed the first three episodes. We stayed for the first two before I thought. I, I was actually gonna... think it was only two episodes. Really? Because as we were leaving. Like, everybody else was kind of leaving. It looked like they were going to, like, an after-party kind of thing. Okay. That we as press didn't attend. <laughs> we were not invited. <laughs> I mean, I feel but, like we could have gotten them. Yeah. But I was freezing. It was cool. Um, but, so yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, Donald Glover was there. Um, Paperboy, played by Ryan Tyree Henry, was there. Um, they had a lot of the directors, a lot of the supporting cast from the second season were there. There were a lot of people like on that carpet, both press and talent. <laughs> there, there was a lot of people on that. Who gave her a squeaker toy? Who did that? Mike. Mike. She picked it up. Uh huh. Sure. This is my struggle every week when I do this podcast is to like not have her with squeaker toy. Um. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> that was Mike, not that Fozzie. Was Mike. <laughs> um, but uh but yeah, it was it was really cool and everyone was um really excited about obviously about the premiere and uh, Matt got a, a couple of good interviews and uh we're gonna listen to a few of those now, so you wanna set those up? Yeah. So um this first one you're gonna hear is with executive producer producer and writer Stephanie Robinson. Um, she talks a little bit about 
the show and working on the season and what exactly Robin's season is about and some Atlanta filming locations, which I think you'll enjoy. <laughs> Hi, Stephanie. Hi. Matt with Shakefire. How's it going? So, who is the most interesting to write for, and why is it Lakeith Stanfield? What? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's That's fair. I would have to say that I think Alfred Paperboy is the most interesting person for me to write for. I think, like, getting into his mind and, you know, sort of what makes a character like that tick and what, you know, what he's dealing with um, on a on a day-to-day sort of emotional level is really is so fascinating to me, I think. And what can you tell us about this season? You know, why why did you name it Robin's season? And, like, why did, why did you differentiate from just going, oh, Atlanta season two? Um, great question. I think there's a million answers. <laughs> but I think the, the, at least from my perspective, we just wanted to make it feel almost like installments. And there was something, I, I think we, we really lean into... Um, the show existing not solely as a season where you need to see everything at once to understand what's going on. I think what um, makes the show so interesting is that uh, you can watch any aspect or any part of the show, maybe even season, and you're still absorbing something interesting. The show is moment to moment, and I think that's sort of what we're what we're pushing for, at least in season two. And were there any favorite locations that you filmed here that you want to highlight? Favorite locations. We filmed at the school where they filmed Stranger Things. That was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. Kind of cool. Cool. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Have a good one. And there we have it. Good work. Good work, Thanks. Thanks, Emma. Jeez. Sorry, I keep, like, I'm seeing the stuff with Fozzie out of the corner of my eye. I'm it's it's the wine, it's I bet. It's the wine. It's the wine. <laughs> Forgotten my co-host names. <laughs> <laughs> it's only been a year. It's only been a year. <laughs> I've known you guys for a lot longer than a year. Um, but, yeah, so, um, oh, it's cool. And you got one more yep, with our we got leads. one more. This is the big one. Um, it starts off with um, Brian, who plays Paperboy, and... Um, Donald Glover joins him, so it's the two of them talking about the season and stuff. Here you go. Okay. Yeah, I absolutely do. Okay. Congratulations on season two. Thank you. What does it mean for that transition from season one to two? Oh man, like one that people like the show. I mean, because we never really thought that it was gonna be this thing. Not that we. It wasn't something precious to us. We we weren't really doing it to like get a second or third season. We just wanted to tell these stories. And so to have this season after this hiatus, like coming back to it, it's it's, it's a good feeling. And to be here, you know, presenting is even better. And having this guy right here. Yeah. Yes. Welcome. 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 Welcome.
I'm back to my apartment was though. Your apartment. Was, I, was I like, really like oh that area. Oh my god! I was like, we're back in my apartment, which just happens to be the bluff. But that's yeah, fine. it's like right in the main area. Like yeah, that area is cool. Like, Onyx was fun. Onyx is dope. No, like, and where was Helen? Helen was a Helen. Helen, right? Helen, <laughs> Helen was an Helen. Yeah, Shot Helen. Yeah, like that one. What made you decide to have Helen? Oh, at the Starlight. I, I really loved this place when I was a kid. Like, I used to, like, my parents used to bring me here, and I used to, like, I had a Walkman, and I would watch rated R movies behind me and, like, switch the radio station and stuff. And I saw, like, Malcolm X here. Uh, it's just a very special place. I just always, when I came here, I was like, where are we? You know, like, so I really like it. It's communal, man. It's, it's a, a very communal it's place. place. It's just a place. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> No problem, because <laughs> I wasn't invited. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, if you haven't checked out Atlanta, it's definitely worth checking out. It's a really good series, and Donald Glover is just a force to be, oh my god, Ozzy, a force to be reckoned with. Um I should also note that, that Doug is here, and he's supposed to be keeping Fozzie calm during this, <laughs> and everything is failing. He's doing a terrible job. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Donald Glover, is he, he's an immense talent, and Atlanta is a uh, just one of the many representations of that. So. Yeah. No, like, I, I really enjoyed the first two episodes. Me too. At least, like, what I could comprehend. Like, it wasn't the optimal... Viewing wasn't the optimal viewing of, experience. of them, so I definitely need to rewatch them. But like, from what I was able to comprehend, it was it was really good, and and that's not just coming from somebody who was in the second episode <laughs> the second briefly. Episode. Well, another cool thing that happened um, this past weekend is um, Irony Singleton had his event uh, blindsided by The Walking Dead, which is his one man show. And he did a special charity performance of it actually at his home, um, which was really cool. And it was a really intimate setting. And um, a bunch of businesses in Castleberry Hill donated uh, really amazing food and gift bags and prizes and all of that for the evening. Um, I'm still literally craving the sushi from Bottle Rocket. Like, I, like I can taste it when I left. And, like, all I wanted to do was, like, leave Bottle Rocket. Um but it was a really cool event, and um, I think they're still trying to figure out ways to continue doing that. So if you are interested in seeing his one-man show, um, I know they live-streamed it, and I think maybe you can still see it, even if you didn't watch it live. Um, if not, follow Irony on, on social media, and I'm sure he will be posting about upcoming performances of it. Um, but it was really cool because doing that on Sunday night led into the mid-season premiere of The Walking Dead, which was, I think, an episode everyone was excited for, but ultimately dreading because... Um, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We, we lost a, a major character on Sunday night. Um, if you haven't had this spoiled for you and you, like, are still... You must be living under a rock. Or yeah, because yeah, like, even, even I know who got killed and I don't want to show. Yeah. Well, like, everybody knows... He was dying from the mid-season finale, mm-hmm. so it's not that surprise. No, but it was but it, it was, was still still, a, still devastating to it watch. It was a tough episode to yeah. watch. Um, a very kind of um, subdued, sad episode. Um, I don't know though. Like 
uh, should we talk about what happened at the end of the episode and like what that could potentially mean? Sure, I say let's go. Are you ta- you're talking about Rick, right? I'm in the tree. To, um, well, I'm talking about that scene in Megan. Which, which <laughs> one? The one with him in the garden? Yeah. Okay. So, well, I mean, the whole thing with like old man Rick well, that- is a little weird to start with because if you're you're basing this based on the age of Judith, and you're assuming it's been I don't know what six or seven years into the future from where we are now, and Rick now looks like, like Santa, Santa, or like like a young god or something, a like like an or an old old Jesus, oh, <laughs> some not not Jesus from the show, but like the religious Jesus. Um, <laughs> we also have sirens going by us, so bear with us during this episode. Um, but it's if we're to take that in any sort of like literal context then it's like everything is okay and Negan is there in well, seven years, like chilling so, in the garden. And So I I didn't take that as a literal context. What did you take that I as? I took that as everything, the whole future stuff with old man Rick, and that's including the, the season premiere of it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we saw glimpses of old man Rick in the season premiere. Right. I took all of that as that's the world that Carl envisioned. That's the world that Carl wants his dad to build. So this was all Carl's dream, basically. So, like, that's not a reality. That's all, it's kind of like a dream. That Carl wants that to be the reality. Of, you know, Rick building this community with everyone, Egan included, and everybody's getting along and growing crops and stuff like that. That's the thing in the comics where in the comics, yeah, Egan and Carl are are like buddies. Yeah. Well like so, they're not buddies, but like But they're they get Negan, along, Negan so. does come to the side right. of Rick and Carl and all them. But then then again, I don't who knows what is going on because, you know, Carl's still alive in the comics. Right. Carl's an integral part of the comics. And so, you know, who knows how much the show is gonna deviate from that. Yeah. I feel See? like and so like I took, you know, seeing Negan in the garden in the future episode as, okay, yeah, this is where we want to go. And that was kind of alluding to the comics. Right. Where they do join up. And, of course, that's what Carl wants. Because Carl was like, you know, you can't keep killing everybody. Right. You got you to gotta work together. You got to think of the future. Do you know We're all they, working together. Do you know if they've said that, like, in interviews? Like, is that something, like, or is that is that just your interpretation of it? Of the what they said that like, of like the old the whole man dreams, it's yeah, a dream. yeah. I don't think they've explicitly because I said didn't it. watch Talking Dead, so if they explained that. Then I I'm not. I didn't. <laughs> want, I don't watch Talking Dead. Either. I don't either. I don't, <laughs> so. I don't think they explicit. I don't know if they've explicitly said that. Okay. That is like, oh yeah, this is Carl's dream, but I'm pretty That's sure. That's a good theory. It's a good theory. Yeah. It makes the most sense. It's like even like it's like. Even like visually, it's like oversaturated, so it kind of almost has that like dreamlike dream-like feel true. to it. So. That's true. Well, maybe that'll but be yeah. a question I'll ask one of our cast members next time we do an interview, and then we'll be like, "You can't answer that." <laughs> you still got a whole what? Yeah, we got a number of episodes Six, left. Eight, seven, seven, something like that. Yeah. So, um, 
Well, I will say um, a little bit of self-promotion here. If you are a fan of the jacket that Megan wears on the show, I am giving away um, a jacket that looks identical to that on Bambolt. Um, that's a, a real leather jacket, unisex jacket, size medium. Um, so go and enter the contest there if you want to dress up. It's actually a pretty cool jacket. I have one too. The lean is not included. You gotta do that yourself. <laughs> yeah, lean and Lucille are not included. Um, uh, but moving right along, you did something kind of cool on Friday night. Um, I did. Want to talk a little bit? Of, it's funny that you you brought this up before we started recording because we were literally like driving, um, actually I think to Chakai's um, house uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we saw this set up on the the side of the highway, and I was like, "What is that?" So yeah, so. Friday night, I went to the Universal Circus. You know, we've we've talked a lot about circuses we have. in the past year. You know, we've done the Cirque du Soleil, and then Mike and Emma did the what was it, the Big Top, no, Big, Apple. Big Apple, Big Apple yeah. Circus. So yeah, I went to the Universal Circus with my family. We've gone a bunch of times past couple of years. You know, we've gone every year. So um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Basically, it's a lot of high energy, high music stuff that they do. Um, they bring in acts from all over the world. Um, one of my favorite acts of the night was from Cuba and they basically, they set up this big trampoline that they had people standing like on stilts at the top of the ends. And they were like, it was almost like a tra trapeze combined with a trampoline. And so like people were, they were two grabbers at the edges of it and they were like throwing people back and forth across and on the trampoline doing flips and stuff like that. And all the while, all this like high energy music is going on and stuff like cool. that. And so one of the interesting things that happened is that, you know, as they're setting up, you know, they got to set up all these different acts inside the big circle and ring. Um, the ring. Yes. Thank you. Mike. Mike wants to run away and join the circus. Yes, I do. So he's our, our fact checker here. So, you know, they have the, the ringmaster or the MC, you know, he keeps the crowd entertained, you know, between acts while they're setting things up. And what sets the Universal Circus apart from pretty much all the other circuses is they do audience participation. And so they will bring random audience members into the circle Please tell and me do stuff. Ring. Into the, yes, into the <laughs> ring. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> and, um, you know, they will make them dance or do crazy things. And it is truly audience participation <laughs> because I had to go into the ring and, uh, and dance <laughs> in front of hundreds of people. Is there a video of this, please? I know. I, I believe there, there is video. My brother, my brother <laughs> filmed must, it. We must I see this. I haven't <laughs> watched it. We must because see I experienced it live. In fact, Emma should post it on Facebook. I know. I think we should post it with this podcast. So, so yeah, they they brought me and a couple of other people into the ring, and basically, you know, like the the MC, the ringmaster, he he did this dance, and we had to copy him. And he did, he did a new one for each person. Like, an, it was, he individualized it for each person. And so, like, you know, you're sitting there in the middle of the ring, and he's doing this dance, and it's like a, it's this whole step system thing. And you're like, I got to memorize this, like, right now. There's no time in between to 
learn the moves or anything. So like, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just flailing around, but, but yeah. So yeah, they do those. That's not set up, set ahead. Or <laughs> I think that there are like one of the, one, the, the person who goes last is like, you know, a stunt At person. Stage. Yeah, he's like staged. They, he's part of the circus. Yeah. Cause like, you know, they really go all out and it's always over the top kind of over, over showing even the ringmaster kind of thing. But the other people know. They are they are not part of it because I was not a part of it oh, and I was not so expecting <laughs> to go to go into the ring. Were you sitting like were you like really See, that's close? The thing, too. Were you yeah. in like the not safe zone? Yeah. So like we were like front row, like they have the VIP section which which surrounds the ring mm-hmm. and it's basically like right up front against it, and then of course they have the walkway around the ring and then the begins the stadium. Then it begins the stadium seating kind. So we were sitting in the front row of the stadium seating. Oh, so like right really easy access yeah. for them to grab you. Yeah. So yeah. I tried <laughs> to get out of it, but he was like, No, you're He's coming like, with you're me. Coming with us. So yeah, oh, I, did, I did that. I wanna see the and video that was, so badly. <laughs> that was that was an experience. I'm thankful that's never happened to me. Being a circus fan, that's it's a really cool circus because they do some it's it's more of a traditional circus uh, than some of the, like Cirque du Soleil. Um, yeah. But they do. It's it's such a fun evening because it is so high energy, and because they do try to entertain the crowd throughout the the show and keep that energy up throughout the whole show. Um, so it's a lot of fun. I've been a couple of times to it. And they do like it's like a three hour show. Wow. And like it is always up, which is impressive. Yeah. That's, uh, so yeah, it's a lot of fun, here. and it's and it's based out of Atlanta. Like you know, they travel all over the country and stuff. But like they're Atlanta is where their headquarters is. So, and this year is their twenty fifth anniversary. So, you know, like cool. they go all out. Cool. Yeah, I feel like most circuses I go to, it's like two forty five minute acts. It's not really no. with like a ten minute intermission or something. So that's cool. Um, well, moving right along. Uh, we have the Oscars this Sunday night, which uh, we'll all be together watching. And we wanted to go through a little bit of our predictions. And and we're going to have ballots. We're going to have ballots. And there is a prize for the person that comes in last. Because last one to leave last list. Oh, there's, there's a joke here. I don't know <laughs> what it is, but there's a joke here. Uh, let's just say this movie is epically bad that we're giving to the person that comes in last. Yeah. The emoji movie. No, this is this is a classically bad movie. Oh, I was about Mono's Hands of Fate. It's a very classically bad movie. I'm not going to tell it's anybody what it is, but it's mm. it's it's a cla- no. It's not the one I'm going to tell you that. It's only to watch that. We need to make that happen. It could be. Um, the room would be a good one since you know disaster artist. It's relevant. Yeah, it's relevant. <laughs> um, well, let's let's talk through um, our predictions for best film, best director, best actor, and best actress, and we're gonna halted at those four because we could talk about this for hours. Um, so best film. Let's go through our, our nominees of best film. All right. So for best film, and by the way, um, Emma's living room is like, I'm reading this in the dark. Oh my gosh. My... So, Hold on. Let me get my, my cell phone flashlight out for you since we're we're filming in the... There we go. All right, so <laughs> we have nine nominees. I think nine. Um, so it's The Shape of Water, 
It's uh, three billboards. It's Dunkirk, Get Out, Call Me By Your Name, Lady Bird, Thread, uh, Phantom Thread, The Post, and Darkest Hour. So those are choices. Now let's say out of these, the, the front runners, from what I've been able to tell, um, is Shape of Water, Three Billboards, and possibly Get Out. But I'm also seeing a little bit of movement on Dunkirk because Christopher Nolan has never won an Academy Award. Um, and it was this film was more of a stylized Hollywood uh, film than stuff he's done in the past. Um, so what do you guys think? What's, what's your predictions? My money is on Shape of Water. Um, yeah. That's that's what I'm going with for this. I, Although, like, Get Out, I love Get Out. Um, Dunkirk, I don't feel like is a best pick. Like it's best cinematography or best director. I could or see best Nolan director, getting yeah. best, best director because he's nominated for best director as well. So I could see him getting that, but not best picture. Well, uh, there was an article today that apparently a lot of the older Academy members are not even didn't even bother to watch Get Out. Um, that, <laughs> and so were they like, oh, we gave Moonlight the award last year, so. Let's ignore Get Out. I, I think there? It, I, no, I think it was one. One thing is, is because it came out so early in the year. You got to remember, it was a January it's or a February it's a movie, February release, right? Yeah. So it came out very early, so it wasn't on their radar that it could possibly be an Academy Award. And then the, the fact that it's a radically different movie, and that it's a, that it, some people consider a horror movie. I don't. I consider it a suspense film, but that it's got that stigma of horror, and there's been very few. Even nominees for Best Picture that have been horror. I consider it horror. Um, yeah, it's like a thriller, kind of. I'd say it's a suspense film. Yeah, I mean, it's so much of it is psychological, though. It's right. like a psychological, psychological horror, horror film. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, my money right now is on Shape of Water. Um, and I think that it's going to, I think that um, it's going to win some other awards along the way, also. Um, but that would be my money. But I don't know. Three billboards in the last couple of weeks has gotten a lot of momentum. A lot of there's been a lot of press about three billboards. Um, so, so what, what is the movie you want to win? Not what do you predict will win? What is the movie you want to win? Well, personally, I loved Lady Bird. That's that's probably my favorite of the year. I, I loved Shape of Water too. I think they're equally good. Um, and most of these films are in the uh, that are nominated. I consider them all really, really good films. Um, the, the Darkest Hour, I think, has got a great performance, but I don't think necessarily it's a great film. Um, but I, I, Lady Bird is the, is the film I fell in love with. And some of it has to do with Greta Gerwig and the fact that it's a first-time director. Uh, as a first-time director, I thought she did a great job, and I loved her performances in the film, especially Laurie Metcalf. So that's that would be my favorite of the ones, but I think Shape of Water is going to win. It seems weird to me that there's nine films on like, yeah, why could, is there not ten films nominated? Well, it's all it's all in the voting process. It's all determined yeah. by the voting process and how many votes everything gets. So you have and to it, get a certain number of votes, right? And you got to you also got to remember that the best picture is different than anything else as far as voting. Right. It's a it's a tier system, um, and so you're voting you're voting in order, and then they kind of go through it and and start weeding out films uh, and, and looking at the at the voting. So it's a little bit different. It's also um, the only nom nomination where everybody votes when they're on the nominations 
on, on nominating the films. Everybody votes on the nomination uh, process, uh, whereas every, just actors vote in the acting process, and directors only vote in the directing process as far as the getting to the who's going to be the nominees. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I I personally won't get out to win and to take it, um, but I think it's going to be Shape of Water, and that doesn't mean I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, Shape of Water was a beautiful film, and Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro just he deserves it. Like he yeah. deserves to get that director want, too. I will. I want Shape of Water to win everything. You sweep like, it. <laughs> Shape of Water, and then Baby Driver for everything that Baby Driver was nominated for. It's like all the technical stuff. All the tech, tech stuff, but for like, sure. Sound editing. <laughs> you know, for movie director. Yeah. Actress. Agreed. I want Shape of Water. Yeah, Sally Hawkins <laughs> is amazing too. Um, let's go through the, the best actresses, though. Is that what you have up next? Yes, I have next. So it's Frances McDormand, Sorcery Roman, um, Sally Hawkins, Meryl Streep, and um, um, Margot Robbie. I feel like. I already said. I feel like Meryl Streep could, like, not do a movie and still get nominated. I'm, t- I'm tired. <laughs> like, Honestly, I'm tired of Meryl Streep. I love her. I love her. I loved her. Like, she was good in the post. Yeah. But Tom Hanks was better. And. I don't know. Like, she's just getting nominated just because she's Meryl Streep. Yeah. So Which, I mean, you can't you can't blame people. I think this is sort of <laughs> no. And unless I'm really wrong, I think this is a really easy year for both to pick how to pick the actors and actresses in both the the main and in the supporting. I think there's clear cut favorites in each each one each category. Um, and I think it's because. It's not. It's also because of who is nominated. Um, so um, I think, as far as, as we're talking about actress, um, that um, Frances McDormand is is going to win um, that so performance. Too. I mean, she dominates that film, and it's got a great cast. And it's almost. A, it really is an ensemble cast, but she dominates every scene she's in, and she's so fierce and determined. She's also incredibly well liked. And she's won a lot of the uh, the awards that have have come up um, already, as far as like the SAG and everything else. So I think she's the front runner. I don't think anybody else is even close. It says that um, Oscar Oscar experts have predicted that she's going to win um, unanimously. So like every major media outlet is predicting that she's yeah, going to win. Yeah, and I think it's a pretty safe. Bet. Yeah, it's a, it's a really safe bet. Um. All right, best actor. Who do we have? All right, so we have Gary Oldman, uh, Timothy Chalamet, uh, Daniel Day Lewis, um, Daniel. Okay, I can't say his last name. Kaluuya. Kaluuya, and Denzel Washington. This is a really weak nominations. I mean, that Gary Oldman is going to win. Yeah, Gary Ullman's going to win. I'd say Denzel Washington is a weak nomination. Denzel Washington's a very weak. <laughs> like, why is but com- he com- Compared to the best actress, or even the best supporting actress or actor, this is a pretty weak field. I don't know. No, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Because I, I mean, say it because they got Denzel Washington in it. And I mean, they got Denzel. That's a, that's a that's movie that nobody saw. It was an easy performance for him to do. But the other four are extremely well talented. Yeah, but like you also high quality. But so here's like, here's the other thing is that you, with 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 Timothy and with um, with uh, Daniel, we're talking about two first time nominees, and it is incredibly rare for Oscars to ever go in acting to a first timer. 
It's really I, rare. I, I Still, feel... their performances are amazing. Though. They are they a performance, are. but... It, Gary it's not Oldman, a weak category. No, <laughs> I, I disagree. I still think it's a weak category, but Gary Oldman is going to win this. I think yeah, that... I think it's going to be Gary Oldman. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go against you guys here. I think that Daniel... How you say his last name again? Kalia. Kalia. Um, I think this is... He was amazing in this, and Get Out needs to get something. Yeah. So, like, well, it's again, going to. this is... First, it will. It will get... It will get uh, best original screenplay. Yeah, best original screenplay. Well, it, but it deserves more than that. I I don't know. See, this is what I want to want for it. It's did, probably did you not see? Happen, did you see Darkest Hour? I did not see Darkest Hour. So you don't know what the performance. It's going to be. It's true. It's going to be Gary Oldman, um, because of his performance and because Who he is? it's Gary Oldman. Yeah. He hasn't gotten it. You know all the politics in play. Um, yeah, you got to remember Oscars. It's not always. I mean, look. It's a lot of politics. Look, look, yeah. look, look at um, uh, um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio. It was, yeah. I mean, that's a perfect deal. It wasn't. I mean, the guy said five words in English in that whole movie. He he spoke more in Indian than he spoke whatever. I don't remember which language, and I apologize for saying Indian. But he spoke in whatever language he was speaking more than he spoke in English. Yeah. That goes to the performance. Yeah, he for, fought a bear. He, <laughs> He got raped by a bear. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. But, um, <laughs> like, my pick, I know it's going to be Gary Oldman, but my pick would be uh, Timothy Chalamet, just because of how great a performance he uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I think, I thought his performance was incredible. Um, I will say this also with... Incredibly with, weak, right, Mike? No. <laughs> I'm just... What I, the reason why I'm saying weak is because you have two first-timers. And you have Denzel Washington, so that's that's three potential not. They're not gonna. They don't have a chance to win, and that's why I'm saying what, it's a weak field. What was it? Jennifer Lawrence, Silver Linings. That was her first time. She was. Yeah, but that's Jennifer, true. Jennifer Lawrence is is. And honestly, that performance. Yeah. To be honest, looking back, like there wasn't anything special, special what about year, that. Performance. What year was that? That was 2014 when Jennifer Lawrence won. Is that right? 2014. I don't remember. I'm trying to remember who else she was up against. Yeah, because um, I mean, like, it was good. It was it's really good, but like, no, she was great. Oscar, in it, but Oscar, Oscar, Oscar winning worthy. Well, she was also nominated um, in 2014 for Best Supporting Actress in American Hustle, and I didn't think that was warranted. I thought that was oh, people yeah, yeah. just well, loving Jennifer did, Lawrence. Did, 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 when was she nominated for Winner's Bone? Also. That was what? That was, was before. She, was she nominated for Winner's Bone? I think she was. I think she was. Oh, I think wow. she was nominated. It was like one of her first. I know she got big a role. Yeah, one of her first roles. Was like it was Oscars 20, uh, 2013 for Best Actress. I want to see who else was nominated. I, it's funny from year to year, I don't remember. Um, so that was Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty. Um, oh my God, I can't I even like. Naomi Watts, I can say her name. Uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. I cannot say oh, this the, name. Oh, the girl, the little girl, even, the little um, girl. Quinn, yeah, Quinn Quinsley Wallace. What's yeah, sure. And Emmanuel uh, Riva and Amore. Um, so I don't know. I mean, Jessica Chastain was pretty freaking awesome in Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that maybe that's an argument there, but um, I don't know. That's just that's just. All right, so we'll move on. <laughs> moving to, along, to moving best on to director. best supporting actress. Now we're we're just doing um, 
Oh, best directors. Best directors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that um, Allison Janney is a lock for best supporting actress. Although I think Laurie Metcalf deserves it more. Um, but Allison Janney and Itonia is going to win. Yeah, she's won everything up to this point. She um, was amazing in it, and she's everyone loves her. Like you right. can't not love yeah, her. Yeah. She's an amazing actress. And she's, she's probably going to bring a bird to the Oscars. And then <laughs> the best supporting actor. Um, early on, I thought it was going to be Willem Dafoe um, in uh, the Florida Project, but uh, it, everything has gone with uh, with Sam uh, Rockwell um, for Three Billboards. So I'm I'm saying that's really a lock also. So best director. So we have Guillermo del Toro. Uh, we have Christopher Nolan. We have Jordan Peele. We have uh, Greta Gerwig, and then Paul Paul Thomas Anderson. I want like four of these directors to win this category. <laughs> like it's a hard pick. Like it's, it's, it's Del Toro. Yeah. It's Del Toro, and he by far deserves it. And he's he's done so many incredible films and not received like the mass attention that he deserves for the films that he's done. Um, so yeah, but like there's the Jordan Peele, like I, I keep saying get out, like yeah. it's just such a different film that like, I want to honor that more. And then Christopher Nolan, I mean, Dunkirk, while I don't think it's the best picture worthy, I think the direction in it um, amazing. is amazing. And the cinematography is amazing. And the sound is amazing. And the, there's so many components of that film that were really amazing. And then Brad Gerber. Same yeah, thing as and like the, Jordan Peele, you know, first. exactly first time, and like the fact that she's the only female in this category too. Like, I'm just like I'm so proud of her, and I would love to see like there kind of be a shift to where you know we were we were honoring more female directors and paying more attention to female directors' work, and she was uh, Lady Bird was incredible. So that's my skull. I'll shut up. That's a hard. It's a hard it's a category. It's yeah. a really hard category. But Del Toro. Yeah. It's Del, Del Toro. Toro. It's and I'm okay with that. Viva Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> um, so those are our predictions. Uh we'll we'll see how we did next week, but uh we'll be watching these together on Sunday night. Um all of that being said, let's dive into our box office report for this week. Uh or for last weekend, excuse me. Um, which I do not Gee, what who who won the box oh, office? Black Panther. Won. Black Panther. Of I course. mean, um, I don't even need to look. I don't even have it up right now. I, I, I got it up. I got it up. It was, uh, so it was 111 million, and um, at the last time I looked uh, worldwide through Tuesday was it was at 770 something million worldwide, which is amazing. It's actually when when I read it, it's in the it's in the top 20 all time now already. And you're talking it's only about, being eleven days. Yeah, that's just amazing. So, um, game night came in second at seventeen million. Uh, Peter Rabbit came in third at twelve point seven. Annihilation came in at eleven Annihilation. point. Annihilation, sorry, <laughs> eleven. I wonder why I can't pronounce that. <laughs> uh, Fifty Shades Freed came in at seven. Jumanji Aww, was Jumanji. Jumanji was <laughs> number six, which is still amazing. Because uh, it's done domestically, it's done three hundred and eighty-seven million dollars, which a movie that I didn't think would do anything. Yeah. Um, the five seventeen to Paris was number seven. Number eight, still sticking around, mm -hmm. Greatest Showman, which is now up to one hundred and sixty million dollars. 
Um, and there was a couple articles um, this week about how well it's done, not just here in the States, but also worldwide. It's made like $380 million. Considering that it had a, such a crappy first weekend and then had a second weekend that was better than the first weekend and just keeps rolling along in between 6 and $7 million every weekend. It's just amazing. Um, number nine was Every Day, another new movie. Uh, came in $3 million. And then the animated film Early Man came in number 10. So that was our box office. So Thanks, Black right. Panther. Um, I'm trying to remember back to what our predictions were last we, week. I don't but think I think any of us put it, it over 100. I think we were I, thinking like 90. I think I said like just over 100. I feel like I said that. Maybe I didn't. Um, but either way. Our listeners will tell us. Yeah, I'll be like, Emma, you're wrong. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I 111 million, like that's that's amazing. That's amazing for the for second, second week. week. That's awesome. And at game night, I, I mean, I still it's you solid, guys, you guys, solid debut for game night. It's a solid. I mean, its production budget was 37 million, so I'm sure terrible for Annihilation. Yeah, Annihilation. Their production budget was 40 million, and so they've made domestically uh, 11 million. Yeah. So. And all the international rights go to Netflix. Netflix has the international rights for Annihilation, so like they're just gonna put it on Netflix. Yeah, it's like, weird because like I'm I'm seeing like trailers, Netflix trailers for Annihilation, like coming out like March. I think March 23rd is when it comes out, like in the UK and stuff, and it's like on Netflix. But is it? It's, it's not, not gonna be on Netflix. It's not gonna be on US. Netflix in the US, no. Okay. But like internationally, Paramount sold the rights to Netflix. But I mean, Netflix. Because that was a whole controversy, because Paramount wanted to dumb down Alex Garland's vision and like reshoot like the end, some of the ending and stuff. So it's going to be a different movie. No, 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 for... no. They wanted to. Okay. But um, one of the producers had final say, basically, in the cut of the film, and they sided with Garland and saying, "No, we're not going to do this." And so Netflix kind of. Or not Netflix, but Paramount kind of got worried, and we're like, okay, uh, we're going to sell the international. I so. mean, I feel like Netflix. Granted, we don't know any of the numbers behind anything that yeah. Netflix is doing, um, but like the article that came out this last week about them eyeing a total of around seven hundred original series and movies in twenty eighteen is an well, insane. And, and spending eight billion dollars. Yeah. Well, okay, so. Like, I'm not exactly clear on that because, like, from the article I read and stuff, it sounds like they want to reach 700 by 20, by the end of 2018, not 700 in 2018. It sounds like they want to have 700 total in 2018. So, like, how many do they have right now? They've got quite That's a few. That's the question. Yeah, they have, they have a couple a lot. hundred. They, have a lot. they already have a couple hundred. Well, they're they're planning to release 80 original films in 2018. Which, which is an incredible amount. I mean, Insane, yeah. no, no studio, has, I know, I probably, no studio has ever released 80 films in one year. And there's roughly 80 I mean, non-English language original productions um, that are coming from outside of the U.S. Yeah. too. Yeah, I, yeah I, I was on Netflix the other night because um, I didn't have a movie to watch. And uh, so I was just looking for something to watch, and I was amazed at how much Spanish language original content they had. Yeah. They, um, well, they ended 2017 with 117.6 million streaming members, 
Um, so, I mean, if you do the math, um, it says citing an estimated 700 million broadband users globally, um, excluding China. I mean, if you just do the math on that, they're basically like, they can do whatever they want. It's still, <laughs> like, it's still, it's still a lot of money. Yeah. It is and that's still a lot, a lot of money. That's a lot of films. And that's, that's, like I said, I don't, no studios ever come, I bet there's not even half that. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe in the old days. I, mean, I love it though, because Netflix is taking chances. They are yeah, taking chances. I, but, but my problem with Netflix is that, that almost all their films are exclusively on just Netflix. They're not releasing to theaters. And so you've got all this content and it's not going to the theaters, and especially these smaller films they're doing that could very easily go to the art house and independent art uh, cinemas are not, you know, are not um, happening. Right. But is but could they? I mean, we'll never know. Yeah, like, like I, I feel like Netflix is giving a lot of opportunities yeah. to projects that otherwise might not see the light of day. Right, but, like, it also, but that doesn't mean necessarily quality. True, Because I, I watched a film last week that was a Netflix original that was just horrible. I mean, it's, 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 it's actually was what I thought Netflix would do a lot of, which was a romantic comedy, very simple premise. It's basically Groundhog Day. This guy relives uh, relives two days over and over and over. One is the day that he went on a date with a girl that he's madly in love with, and the other one is three years later, and she's either marrying somebody or she's dating somebody else, and he keeps on trying to change it. And the first date, he keeps on trying to change everything to where now she's going to be end up with him instead of ending up with this other guy. Because on their first date and the first time, he ends up in the friend zone. It sounds like a Hallmark movie, right? I, it's, <laughs> you know what? The Hallmark movies were actually better quality than this film. Fair enough. <laughs> better quality than this. But then you have stuff like Mudbound, which is amazing. Right. And like should have been nominated for Oscars and stuff like yeah. that. And like, so like. Well, and that's. that's I mean, that's, that's, that's any a studio. And that's yeah. Academy. Academy was going to, because of the fact that they don't release very many films to the theaters. The Academy's not going to let them into the into the until they start doing more of that. Yeah, which they are. Like I've seen a lot more Netflix this year than I have any other past year. True. So, so weekend box office projections for this weekend. All right. So, um, I think Black Panther again. I think Black Panther will be number yeah. one again. Yeah. Um, we have the movie that we're reviewing today, which is coming out. Um, Red Sparrow's starring Jennifer Lawrence. I'm betting that'll be second. Um, I think it's going to, I think Death Wish and Red Sparrow are going to be right there together around 15 to 17 million. And I think it's going to be neck and neck on which one. Um, it's funny because we have, we have a, a, a fellow critic that is convinced that Red Sparrow is going to be number one no. this weekend because of the fact that Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence, Lawrence is nude. Him. No, she's nude. She is nude in this one. Yeah. So. <laughs> but I don't, I, this is not a Jennifer, this isn't a typical Jennifer Lawrence film. Fozzie has just made her return to the podcast because someone uh, let her out. <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah, so, so I'm looking at a box office for, which is amazing to say in the third weekend, but I'm thinking like 90 million, like 80 and 90 million again. Just I don't amazing. think it'll be that high. I, th- I think it's going to be. I think, I think it it's going to be high. I think it'll be high. Black Panther will be number one. I don't think it'll be ninety million. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I we'll mean, see. We've, we've been wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is 
uncharted territory. It is uncharted territory. Um, all right, well, let's hop into our um, review for this week, which is Red Sparrow. Um, which one of you guys want to set this this up? I say that because I would offer to do it, but it's got some names in it. I'm going to butcher. So I'm going to let one of you guys butcher the names. Really? Yeah. Jennifer, you can't say Jennifer Lawrence? I can say Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> Joel, Joel Egerton? No, like the... <laughs> here, here. I've what, got... is, what is the name? That first name right there, Dominika. I don't need. Oh, that's her name. Her, her character name. Yeah, I'm not remembering oh, how it's to. Russian. It's Russian. Yeah, yeah. We don't. We don't talk about characters. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna, so we'll we'll just say Jennifer Lawrence. Everybody knows Jennifer Lawrence. Everyone knows nobody, Jennifer Lawrence. Nobody cares about Jennifer. But um, so I guess I'll do it. Go for might it. Might as well go for it. Good, because I'm gonna get another beer. <laughs> oh my. So, Jennifer Lawrence, um, she is a Russian ballet dancer. And she is based, she's, lives at, she lives at a sanctioned home with her mother, taking care of her mother. It's all been san- sanctioned by the Russian ballet. And she's a great ballet dancer, but um, she suffers an injury. Um, the guy, the, the guy other she's ba- dancing the guy, with, yeah. the guy she's dancing with basically steps on her leg and breaks her leg. It's a really traumatic injury. And it hurts my leg yeah. to even remember the scene. It's brutal. <laughs> and basically, her her ballet career is over at that point. And so, you know, she's still trying to take care of her mother. You know, she's still living in the house, but she knows she's going to eventually get kicked out because she's not, no longer part of the ballet. And so her uncle, who works for the government, comes and offer her, offers her the opportunity to basically join the government and become a spy, essentially. Become what's known as a sparrow, which is this like you know, elite group of spies who use their sexuality and their... These skills they learn at this school to basically get government secret government secrets from other countries and stuff like that. And so she does this and basically it's this very much this cat and mouse film about her and Joel Egerton, who is a he works for the CIA. And he's trying to, you know, basically convert her to be a double agent. And so the whole film is is she or is she not a double agent kind of thing? Um, a couple of fun facts before we jump into this review. Um, there were a number of moments when I was watching this and it felt very Hunger Game-esque to me. And not only, obviously, because Jennifer Lawrence is in it, but um, the director of this film, Francis Lawrence, this is actually um, his first film after the Hunger Games franchise. So he actually did Catching Fire and then um, the the last two films as well. So three out of four of the Hunger Game movies. I feel like there was some Hunger Games influence in this. Um, my favorite fun fact about this is um, this shot in Hungary in Budapest, and Jennifer Lawrence got into a bar fight in Budapest while filming this movie. Um, is there I, a video of that? I you know what I'm going to do a little bit of research on this while we're while we're reviewing it, but. Um, I feel like you wouldn't. I feel like Jennifer Lawrence would probably like. I could see her getting into a bar fight. 
I could totally see her getting into I could see her winning a bar fight. Like, I don't feel like Jennifer Lawrence is like someone you want to get into a fight with. And she she was in great shape for this film. She was in great shape for this film. And we know that because she's we new. Saw all of her. <laughs> <laughs> she's new in, in a bunch of different scenes. Um, and there's one there's one scene that's incredibly graphic. Um, I will say this a warning is that this movie is incredibly violent. There's some really gross stuff that goes on. Um, in this film. Um, and then there's also a lot of sex in it. And it's not the kind of sex you think. It's more of this in this classroom where Charlotte Rampling plays this basically teacher and she's teaching them how to manipulate people by using their sexuality, by using their any by any mean possible, in fact. And um, there's a scene where Jennifer Lawrence takes all of her clothes off in order to to prove a point. Um, and they're asked to do a bunch of different stuff in this film that's kind of uncomfortable. Um, so it's it's not your typical happy, happy-go-lucky. <laughs> Even, you know, Hunger Games was, especially the first one, was, was a little rough to watch, but this, is, this one can be tough to watch. There's some scenes that are very brutal. There are. Um... Well, just to quickly follow back up on this bar fight before we jump into our official review. Um, here's what happened. Um, so, I guess a fan asked for a selfie with um, Lawrence at a uh, at one of these bars, and Lawrence was just uh, Jennifer Lawrence was describing this incident. She's like, "I was drunk, which is rare." Mm-hmm. Is it? Did she just get drunk <laughs> I know. on she's with? Been, um, she's been drunk in with a Stephen Colbert. Them. Yeah, like, like last week. I, I think she was. She had. I remember being, watching that video. Being sarcastic, um, she's like, "This guy asked me for a selfie," and I was like, "No, no, thank you." And he was like, "Please, my girlfriend will never believe me." And then I guess Jennifer Lawrence's friend said, "If your girlfriend won't believe you, then she's not the one." <laughs> and then, <laughs> then the guy, like, uh, I guess, had some less than savory words for Jennifer Lawrence's friend, and then. Perfect. <laughs> so wow. um, that's that's what went down in the best. Um, but that being said, <laughs> she's just staying in character. Into, yeah. <laughs> um, let's just jump into the review. Um, so were you guys um, bored at all during this film? I know the answer to this. I saw this with you guys. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I wasn't. I found it all very interesting because. And I'm probably an outlier here because it is all very mind games. It's all very spy versus spy. It's not an action movie, which I'm sure a lot of people are thinking going into it. It's not Atomic Blonde. Um, it's all very methodical and very, you know, down to earth spies. And so, like, I, I really liked the whole, you know, is she, isn't she going to turn or be a double agent kind of thing. Right. Because, you know, it does go on very much until the end. I will admit, yes, it does go on. And on. And on. Way too long. It is a little, it is too long. It's two yes. hours and 20 minutes long, and it's uh, probably a good 30 minutes too long. There, I, I got bored because there was so much of this. That's what, I didn't like it because of the fact that. That it just kept going on and on and on, and the classrooms kept going on and on and on, and then we we kept on having all these twists and turns, and there was all these meetings, and all these clandestine meetings, and it just I was I was bored through a great deal, and I love Jennifer Lawrence, 
Um, and so I was, I would put my boredom at three. I wasn't bored. I like this one more than you guys did. Um, I actually. We're on the same page. Yeah, yeah, well, you, it's funny that you brought up Atomic Blonde because I actually said it reminded me a lot of Atomic Blonde with like a lot less action. Like there wasn't yeah. like the, There's the not choreographed fights that really blow your mind. Yeah. Um, no, it's just a, a lot of torture. It's a lot of torture. There, I mean, it, there are parts of it, like Mike said, that's really difficult to watch. I wasn't bored though. Like yeah. I remember when this film ended, and um, I think it started at like seven or something, and then you said that you looked at your your watch at like eight thirty, like expecting it to like be over or something, and it was only eight thirty. And then I was like, oh, so you didn't like it then? <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Um, I wasn't bored. I, it is a long film, and I say that as a person that like sat down in this theater not having dinner at seven o'clock, and then by the time it was over around nine thirty, I was like really starving. Um, but like I wasn't bored, and um, just to roll us into the, the next talking point, I wasn't rolling my eyes either. Um, I don't feel like there was a lot of things that were. I feel like they could have made a lot of things more clear than they did. Um, they weren't necessarily as, as clear as I would have liked them, several plot points. Um, but I wasn't rolling my eyes either. Um, yeah. what, about, what about you guys? I wasn't either, no, no. Like it's, I mean, it's all very serious and stuff, so there's not really much to roll your eyes at. Yeah. I feel like my Except, like, maybe, like, <laughs> I mean, there are some, like, awkward moments especially when they're in the school discussing their sexuality and like right. they're like naked in front of you and you're just like okay like maybe it's kind of, it's awkward but like it's supposed to be awkward so yeah. like it's, you're not rolling your eyes at it exactly i got to my ruling <laughs> uh <laughs> not, just not because surprised. it comes to the classroom scenes um i especially like the there's a scene where a young girl who's very boyish in appearance um is brought up front and humiliated, and I just thought that scene was totally unnecessary. Um, well, I think that 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 scene um, just kind of shows like how far they're how willing, far they, they need it. to go. Yeah, exactly. To, so, like, you you realize how like I don't want to say like dead inside some of these operatives like become because they're put through this like emotional this emotional torture, which gets totally like. I mean, when you see the physical torture, you don't even think about the emotional torture of it, but, like, scenes like that, when they're really, like, just feel like they become hollow. I also have the eye-rolling on the fact that um, Jennifer Lawrence, um, at one point, is tortured, and um, she's then, uh, she gets out of of it, and um, she still has a bruise on her eye, but... <laughs> the rest of her looks fantastic. The rest of her, and we see a lot of her. That's fair. And there's no bruising at all. And I'm like, wait a minute. We just saw this torture scene, and it was brutal. Yeah. It was brutal, and but she's got all she's got is a bruise under her eye. Yeah. Which she yeah. covers up flawlessly with concealer. Yes. Well, yeah. like, well, I feel like her right? arm should have been broken. She so, should have had like a head injury. Well, not only like, that, but the, uh, I was well, because they were using. They were using like the whatever the cloth to make sure they didn't break any arms, but like cause it. But much you would still damage. get you would still get bruising. Yeah, so, I mean, we heard crunching. Yeah. Well, I don't think we ever saw her naked after that. No, we did. Did she? Did she? Yeah, because she gets in the bed with with Edgar. Ed, Ed, Ed. 
They had that scene where she's got she starts taking off her clothes. Oh yeah, that is after that. Because I was going, we didn't play it. We're not not seeing anything. I it's it's funny because um, I read well, an I article. Think that was before that, uh, right? No, no, no it was after. She came back. Like she came back to him. Like the first thing after she. Spoiler alert! We <laughs> should <laughs> like not go. Right. We but, don't know. So here's an interesting thing. So this, so this movie is written by a man. And uh, it's I, I read several articles written by women saying how, you know, from the point of view of a woman, that this, this wasn't realistic in the fact, like, for instance, how she dyes her hair. Like, she goes from, from a very dark, black, thick, to blonde in one night. By using a kit that she gets at it, I know, but but the, the point fair. of it, but the point of it was is that if if women see that and go that can't that can't happen, that's not true, then they're not going to buy into some of the other things because it's being because it's obviously this it's being written by a man, not a woman, and it's not it's there's not so there's not going to be some other things in the film that are on the that that would ring true to a woman. That a man not necessarily not know. That that's fair. I mean, I definitely did. I mean, it is a movie and it's make believe. Yeah. And so, but we, moments like, like that take you out. They of don't the, need to spend thirty minutes selling her dyeing her hair. I just well, thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was over the course of a couple of days. I thought it was an interesting idea that you know well, that, that something that that intricate is going to um, kind of hurt. The viewing for for women watching this film. I do. I I would agree in the sense that they're like her not seeming a little bit more beaten or bruised up after some of the torture scenes takes the realism out of it. The hair thing, as someone that has gone from like dark blonde to bleach blonde, I agree with with what what the the person you're citing said. But also, there were several moments. Um, uh, Lawrence has like this accent, this Russian accent, yeah. which wasn't perfect throughout. Like, was, there was several that points. That was probably in the most she, eye-rolling was the accent. Yeah, she she doesn't keep it like consistent throughout. In case you didn't know, Jennifer Lawrence isn't Russian. She's not Russian. No. <laughs> which you will know when you see this movie <laughs> with her playing a Russian. Which she was uh, she was up for the part uh, in Alice in, the lead part in Alice in Wonderland. And one of the reasons that she didn't get it is because she can't do accents very well. She yeah. Can't, especially can't do a British accent. Yeah. So. I mean, I can't. I have problems with people's names, so I'm not <laughs> even going to pretend to be able to do accents. Um, all of that being said, um, well, I guess, obviously, uh, there's no Atlanta recognition factor here. And I obviously nope. also just skipped over the fact that best and worst actor. Um is there anything that stuck out to you guys as particularly good or bad in this? I feel like that's not I mean, hard. I'm giving best to Jennifer Lawrence just because of everything she went through for the role. And she played it well enough, convincing enough that I honestly didn't know like which side she was playing for yeah. until pretty much the very end. So like, and that was, that was what, kept me going throughout the entire film was, okay, is she a double agent for the U.S. or is she, you know, like a triple agent for Russia and, like, right. how deep is this rabbit hole go? And so, like, she did that very convincingly. I'm giving it to Mary Louise Parker. She's only in the film for, like, ten minutes, but she's very memorable in the in, in this little sequence. <laughs> in fact, a lot of people are calling it Mary Louise Parker's movie within a movie. 
it's just it, it's there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to yeah. this sequence she's in, and it's it's a pretty cool little sequence, and I, I always like her anyway. So, well, speaking of, it's funny because um, Doug and I were actually talking about this when in the beginning of the film you see like this like six minute or so um, like ballet sequence. And I kept thinking to myself, oh, they did such a better job with, like, the face replacement than they did with uh, Margot Robbie in Itania. <laughs> I was like, this looks great. Like, why couldn't Itania do this? That was actually Jennifer Lawrence. It was Lawrence. actually Jennifer Lawrence. Um, she did uh, ballet um, and practice with a uh, ballet and practice that Russian accent for four months um, leading into production. About three hours a day for four months, um, she worked with a ballet instructor. And uh, she, she's on a record saying it was really hard because she had no interest in ever learning how to do ballet. So it um, doesn't sound like she liked it. But um, She was I mean, better at ballet than her Russian accent. She was better at ballet <laughs> than her Russian accent. Well, I don't know. That's why it looked so good, because it was actually her and they weren't replacing her face. Um, but that being said, like that amount of work going into a project um, is kind of crazy. Three hours a day for four months of like, ballet. That's a lot. Um, I wish I could had the time to, you know. <laughs> what would you train take out? Like, well, like you know, just you know, for a role like you hear, like you know, with Michael B. Jordan for like Killmonger for Black Panther, like you know, you know, all his time was spent like in the gym, bulking up, and you know, training for that, and like going from Creed to that to now Creed Two, like right. You know, that's that's your job is to, to do that. But I feel like it's also like gotta kind of suck. Like, I think about, oh, like, sure. um, because then you can't eat, you can't eat anything. And I think about like the Chris Pratt's, like, uh, what was it called? Like he did these little Instagram videos of like, oh, yeah, his this snacks. is my snacks for today or, or like his meal. And it's like this pitiful little, <laughs> it's so sad wrap or something. It's that, like 300 and, he, and he looks so sad. He looks so sad. And, and he's he usually like, like yeah. I mean, it, it like it seems like he's like filming at like three a.m. It has that he feel. He wakes up starving because he hasn't eaten anything. <laughs> like I remember, I I saw an interview with Michael B. Jordan the other day, and he would wake up early, like an hour or two early, just so he could have like another meal in the day. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the only way that would be really fun to train for a movie would be like if. If, like, it was one of those scenarios where you had to put on, like, 50 pounds and you got to, like, eat whatever you wanted. And then, like, that would be awesome training. That was, like, uh, Mac from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. When they when he did the Fat Mac season. Exactly. And, like, I remember I got to interview him for that. And, like, he was like, yeah, all I ate was, like, donuts. He was just eat, constantly eating donuts. It was awesome. Exactly. So, worst, kind of worst actor? Oh, yeah, sure. Let's go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's talk about food. Wait, Training did, regimens. Did you have a worse actor? I didn't really There's have. Like there was nothing like bad, like, bad. Yeah. Like everything else to me was like middle of the road and yeah. just it was fine. It was acceptable. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying it was a bad performance, but Jeremy Irons was it was pretty easy for him to do that performance. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, he can do that in sleep. Yeah, but is that? It's not, a, but it's not a bad. It's not on him it's, though. I mean, that was kind of he did what was written for him. No, it, you know, the probably it would be like the probably the the the, the ballet one of the ballet people. I mean, they were kind of a little weak, or the the guy that attempts to rape Jennifer Lawrence. You know, they, I think it was an acceptable amount of creepy. It was, and it, it was creepy. There was, it was definitely creep factor. 
Um, well, like I said, obviously it did not no, film no. in Atlanta. It filmed um, overseas. <laughs> so in Budapest, in where Budapest, where Jennifer Lawrence having a bar fight. It's funny because I like I was scrolling down through like the rest of this article, and um, she's like, something in me just snapped. Um, but it couldn't have been the alcohol. She said, she's like, I grab it, I grabbed him, I took his beers, and I started dousing him in his beers. And then her friend came up and said, what are you doing? Don't waste the beer. That's <laughs> a good response. <laughs> it's a good friend right there. Not, not telling you to stop in your bar fight. Stop. Don't stop beating them. Just don't waste the beer. <laughs> um, well, okay. On the official overall Atlas scale. I think we should five. start with Mike. I know. Mike's going to be what he's given it. Because of the length and my other concerns about it, um, I'm going to give it a 2.5. I liked it more than that. I liked it more yeah, than that. I'm giving it a 3.5. That's what you I know, would give it. It's, it's, it's very acceptable. It's very good. Um, it's not Atomic Blonde, so if you're thinking... It's almost it almost has that kind of advertising as Atomic Blonde, and you know there are a little a few similarities yeah. to it. So, like if you're going in thinking it's that, you're going to be not. disappointed. Yeah, it's. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember what I gave Atomic. Then Blonde, again, yeah, which I think was a four. So, so I, I think, think a three point five is. I'm giving it. I'm giving it. I'm. I mean, I'm putting it on equal footing. Atomic Blonde with me. Well, because you didn't like Atomic because, Blonde yeah. for some weird reason. Yeah, I don't know why, because I loved Atomic Blonde. It's such a great I, movie. I thought the, the, do we want to go <laughs> back into reviewing Atomic Blonde again that comes up <laughs> every mean, couple of weeks with just, me and how how do I... I thought it was good. It wasn't great. And that's how I feel about yeah, Red we have, Sparrow. It's we have good. A, we have a friend that um, has a movie room, and when you walk in there, Right before you walk in, she's got a backlit uh, movie poster display, and for a long time she had Atomic Blonde. That um, was, I actually gave her that poster, and if we have any loyal Atlas listeners that would like an Atomic Blonde poster, I still have a few left, so shoot me a message, and I will gladly hook you up with one. So, yeah, I loved Atomic Blonde. Yeah, it's crazy. It was good. That is crazy. It was good. Just like Red Sparrow was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's good. It was, it was better. It was Atomic better. Blonde was better than Red Sparrow. Red Sparrow wasn't as bad as Mike thinks it was. Atomic, <laughs> Blonde, Atomic Blonde was better action. Red Sparrow was better story. Yeah, I disagree. Yeah, I don't know that I agree with I that agree. either. But that's what makes this interesting. We don't always agree. Um, although I feel like that's this is one although of our. We all first, agree uh, that My Little Pony is the greatest movie ever. Shut right? up. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's funny because I I watched a couple of independent films this week and uh, one of them is uh, I didn't like because it was so stagey and um, it's got a great cast and so I look on Rotten Tomatoes and see what it's doing on Rotten Tomatoes and it's and it although it doesn't have a huge amount of reviews it's doing like eighty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes and I hated it and then another movie another independent movie I watched this week which I loved and I went on Rotten Tomatoes and it's doing like fifteen percent so it's just it's a matter of what you like and what you don't like. And also, a lot of times, it's, it can be also influenced by some other things like mood and whether you're hungry or not. <laughs> it's true. That frequently affects how much I like a movie. <laughs> um, it's, 
I, I actually just wanted to look this up because I remember, um, like, I don't feel like I knew that many people that like Cloud Atlas. And I, love I that. like that. I love that. I, I, I sat with a. you guys when I watched this in I, 2012. I hated Cloud Oh, I thought it was great. I, I loved it. it. Like, my mind was blown, and it's got a 66%. So it's still fresh on um, Rock Tomatoes, but yeah, I love it. Barely there. Barely there, but it's also got a 66% audience score. So we're in the minority there, Matt. Yep. But such is life. Such is life. <laughs> um, well, that uh, that's pretty much it for us this week. We've got um, some reviews coming up next week. Uh, for Wrinkle in Time, and we'll also have an interview because these guys are interviewing one of the stars of Wrinkle in Time. Who has the coolest name ever, Storm Reed. It's a pretty it's like she should be name. like she has she's gonna be in a Marvel movie, I'm sure. Fantastic Four. Yeah. She's gonna be in Fantastic Four. <laughs> or she um, could be Storm. She could be. She got the name for it. She got the name for it. Um of course we're also gonna discuss Oscar results and um one more movie we'll be reviewing next week will be Thoroughbreds. But one thing we will not have next week will be yours truly. It's Emma. Because <laughs> I am hopping on a plane over the pond to Walker Soccer London and then taking an actual vacation after that. We need so, to hear your British accent. Oh my god, I can't even. I just, no. We also, need, <laughs> we also need to hear your Italian. All right, let, let, we're going to do that when I come back. And I'm gonna like showcase you guys after you've been submerged, submerged into the culture. Into the you think, uh, you think you're gonna culture. be you think you're gonna be better? Well, according to Duolingo, I'm one third proficient now <laughs> in Italian, um. which I think is generous. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how I fare when I'm over there. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm leaving the Atlas in the hands of Mike and Matt for the next two weeks. We'll try not to burn it down. <laughs> try not to burn it down. We still We've only to... been here a year. Yep. <laughs> we still want to make it to that episode 100. Yeah. Um, but thank you guys for listening. Again, please leave your um, thoughts, comments, reviews for us on SoundCloud and, of course, iTunes. It helps us get more listeners, and the feedback is great. And Matt is signaling something. Do we still to use me. the Zach Braff that oh, we get Zach endorsed Braff? by yes. Zach Braff? As of course. Officially endorsed by Zach Braff. Hi, this is Zach Braff. And Matt Tarsus. And you're listening to the Atlas Podcast. <laughs> so, I mean, if Zach really Braff good. likes us and says we're awesome, you should say we're awesome, too, on <laughs> iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, so, again, thank you guys for listening. This is the Atlas. My name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief at Fanbolt.com. And I'm Matt Rodriguez, the owner-in-chief editor of ShakeFire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney of LastOneWillBeTheTheater.com and ATLCW.tv. And... These guys will talk to you next week. Burn it down! Burn it down! <laughs> See ya.